Hello, everybody, and welcome to Shut Up and Sit Down, the podcast, a podcast all about board games, card games, role-playing games, table games, the spirit of play, mind games, games you uh, that are played by monkeys. Uh, ooh, let's not lose the thread. It's too early. Uh, my name is Quentin Smith, and I am joined on the digital telephone <laughs> by Paul Dean. Hello, How's it going, hi. Paul? I like the spirit of play. We've not said that before. Uh, yeah, well, we do spend a lot of time just wondering what play is, like uh, like sort of petrol station philosophers um, with no training. Oh my god, I, I forgot, you have a philosophy degree, don't you? Uh, yes, although it's only a bachelor's, and like I think if I learned anything during that time, it was there is so much philosophy that I now know about 2% of it. It's like when you use Duolingo and you learn like the word for horse and it's like you are 1% fluent in French. Why, it's that classic thing, isn't it? That when you start learning something, one of the first things that happens is you realize how little you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, whether I like, I started uh, listening to like jazz and exploring jazz recently, and I tell you what, Paul, there is so much jazz. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I got overcome by the spirit of jazz there as I was talking about jazz. Well, there you um, are. You're now fluent in one percent of jazz. It's, it's ridiculous because there will be people out there who will have spent their whole life doing like one particular bit of jazz same as like people who spend their whole life doing like one particular narrow area of philosophy and they're really good at it and that's still one really narrow area i would love to explore your narrow area of philosophy on wow. one of these podcasts oh my god okay uh, today um, on the podcast i am going to topic. be talking about a few games like when i dream magic maze and unlock uh, Paul, you've been playing King Dominoes and the networks. My my throat is yeah. going again. <laughs> I should state that this is not uh, this is not me being ill. It's just uh, it's just the morning time uh, right now. I am in a uh, dawn dappled English living room. I've got a cup of decaffeinated tea and a grapefruit. It's very zen. Paul, why don't you describe where you are? This is. I'm not embellishing this. This is true. I'm at my desk at my computer in Vancouver at night under a blanket because it's quite cold mm. and I turned all the heating down, but I accidentally left a window open because what's happened is the weather has got drier and clearer, which makes it really cold at night. And I wasn't ready for this. And I went and saw some friends at their new house and played a bit of Inish and some other stuff and mm. came back and it was really cold. We're barely 30 days out of winter over here in England, and I'm already, like, missing the cosy uh, central heating, uh, hot drinks, um, wintertime period. You can keep doing that. Uh, Oh, my God. The people have been listening to us witter for going on three minutes. Let's talk about some board games. Why don't you pick one out of When I Dream, Magic Maze, and Unlock? What is Unlock? Because that doesn't sound cute, and that sounds... By the way, I've deliberately not researched or Googled any of this when this went into the dock, so I genuinely have no idea. What is Unlock? Fabulous. Right. Unlock is a, a big new game from... Or a, a game that Asmodee have certainly printed a bunch of copies of. Um, and a bit like Time Stories, um, Unlock is three decks. You open the box, and you can play it exactly three times, and each time you play it, you are going to... Uh, venture into one of these decks and it's cooperative and you and your friends are going to solve the deck together. Um, The hook that grounds it and makes it immediately recognizable is that it is a game that uh, imagines escape rooms. So each deck starts with you putting a card out and the card has a picture of a room and that is the room you are stuck in and trying to escape. Um, If people aren't aware, escape rooms are uh, real-life physical installations where you and some friends go in and then have to get out by solving puzzles. Um... They're actually based on uh, video game escape rooms, which were out in the early noughties, I think, sort of flash games. Um, And so you'll do things like a door will be locked and you'll find a key, then you'll figure out which of the dozen locks in the room the key opens. You open that, you get more pieces for a different puzzle. Um, And generally there are enough puzzles in an escape room that multiple people can do them, can be working on their own puzzles at once. Um, And they are good. It's a little bit game design, a little bit, game show um and quite a lot of fun and uh, they they sprung up like mushrooms like uh, mushrooms that you can't escape in cities all over the world um and so unlock models that as a card game you can have all of the experience of a real life room that you can't get out that is based on a video game now in a card game 
on wow. your table. Yeah, and um, they are good. Um, I played it with Lee, and we had a bunch of fun doing the first one. Um, the puzzles are good. the The game design is quite clever. Mm-hmm. Um, the way the <laughs> no, I mean I'm about I, all the questions are building up already. Okay, good. Well, let me just get through the last bit of explanation, and then I will unplug. I will remove my thumb from the dam that is Paul, and mm-hmm. you can ask your questions. So I'm very sassy this morning. I don't know what is wrong. It's Maybe it's the, the grapefruit. grapefruit. No, take it, it away. It definitely is. Okay, so the way that it works mechanically is that um, you'll see this card which depicts the room you're in, and then there'll be a load of numbers, and then the the deck of cards that you pull new cards from, these these decks are thick, they're like four or five fingers thick. Um, so uh, every number that is on a card you see, you are allowed to get that card. So like if there's a number seven on the picture of the room, then one of you can grab the deck and look for the number seven and then take it out. And then it's a phone that's on the wall. And now you can look up at the, look at, look at the illustration of a phone. I see, no, that makes sense actually. Yeah. Okay. So then the way the puzzles work is that, um, uh, the way that you find out if you've got the correct solution to a puzzle or if a key fits in a certain lock is that, um, the, the, the key card and the lock card will each of course have numbers on the back because every card has a number. And by adding those two numbers together, you will get an additional number, like um, you add the key in the lock and it's a 72. Then you will go, oh, Quinn's, because I'm holding the deck. Look through the deck for 72. And then I'll go, there isn't a 72. And that's the game's way of telling you that the key doesn't fit. Um, So the entire, all the solutions and cards and nonsense are done purely with um, uh, addition. And it works and it's quite clever. I can immediately see how that makes a lot of sense because I that that recalls like choose your own adventure books where all the paragraphs are completely out of order and you you can't really learn very much from just like trying to game the book and read you know read through everything just in numerical order because it would be out of sync and it wouldn't make any sense and it's yes. a kind of at least semi-effective, probably fairly effective way to like hide info and hide clues from you. Clearly, like I guess, once you've done a deck, you've done the deck, right? There's not really a reason why you would play it again. No, although unlike Sherlock Holmes, um, because the decks take, I think, I think your your time limit is thirty minutes or possibly okay. sixty minutes to get through a deck. I think it's sixty minutes actually. Um, that is not enough time, and the game is good enough that I could totally see myself putting an unlock deck in my pocket because it works with an app as well that is on your phone or PC or whatever um, that will let you enter more complex solutions and um, give you clues as well. That's yet another really good function. You can type in the number of any card and it will give you a hint that then reduces your score. Um, so you don't get stuck on puzzles. That's nice and smooth. So the whole whole escape room, though, is one deck of cards that you can fit in your bag and an app that's already on your phone. So I can totally see people taking an unlocked deck to their friends and then watching their friends try and solve it. And yeah. their friends will have fun, um, which obviously you can't do with, like, time stories. Because, um, A, it takes too long. B, it's too big. And C, uh, it's, it can be bad. <laughs> yes. Well, that, unfortunately, that we now know is objectively true from having certainly <laughs> yes. tried the Marcy no one, case. There is no one who can have fun with time stories. If people on the internet are saying they like time stories, it's not true. They There's are been lying a mistake. There's been a mistake yes. somewhere. Um, or just a mistranslation, you know, that can happen as well. But it's it sounds immediately very interesting and obviously, like, I suppose, infinitely expandable. Is that the right kind of word? You could just yeah. make more decks with more concepts for that sort of thing. Do You, you can also do standalone expansions because the manual is only like two or three pages. So I can see them doing like another three escape rooms in another equally sized box. Well, this is it. I, I can imagine, you know, if a lot of the information you need is on cards and you draw more cards and they have clues or they tell you things then you need Mm. very little to start you off and the game sort of builds as it goes along and as you collect clues which is like how 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 a good escape room builds as well yeah it's exactly that when you start all the escape rooms start with you in a room and then you've got like eight things to investigate and you know your two or three or four players are all flipping cards and looking at them and trying to share information someone unlocks a door and then you put down another card with another eight things to investigate yeah i mean halfway through a game of um 
unlock because obviously it expands and then blooms and then it'll taper back to one final puzzle that you haven't solved because you need to solve everything to get out the room um so within that boom and bust um at the at the peak of the boom you've got like 20 cards on the table um and uh, that's really neat um, which, which again is a bit like escaping room experiences i've had where we've you know had a bunch of people in a room and then it's like some of us haven't solved one of the earlier puzzles from earlier on but then we've opened a door or we found a clue so two or three of us are working on a new thing that we just found which leads me to ask you like uh what is a good number of people to play this with because presumably you could try this by yourself oh you could uh and you could get out the room and go i got out the room and realize no one's listening and no one cares um as as always with shut up and sit down uh, ooh, I was about to say we don't usually recommend board games as solo games, just play a video game. But then I realized that this weekend I played a new consultant detective case by myself. Ooh. Um, yeah, that was a, <laughs> that did actually feel like kind of a treat. Um, <laughs> Unlock, I think, is good with two. It'll be good with three. I, I have no responsibility if you play it with four because maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. Actually, the third um, case in it begins with you need at least three or four people because um the third case the third room because it immediately starts by dividing the players into two separate um oh really yeah it's like a bridge breaks on this fantastic fantastical island and you need to each navigate your own um path to finally reconvene and share all the clues you've got and stuff that's interesting um it's good man i the main thing people should know about unlock is that it is good I mean, it's theoretically worth a, a proper review on Shut Up and Sit Down, and we might even come close to like recommending it to anybody. Um, it's just that there's too many exciting games that I'd quite like to review us us to review first. A so lot in the world, when, let are, me give you just one more quick so question. So many, yes. So you said there were three <laughs> decks. Sorry, yes. <laughs> so no, there were three here decks, we go. and it's. Did they feel like substantially different in how they worked or did each of them have like a unique hook or a cl- a cool idea or something that the others didn't have? Um, I have played one of them. So my answer to you is sure. Okay, because the only <laughs> Pro- thing is probably. I'm worried that after you do like two or three of these, they may feel like they function in a similar way. That is possible, but that I think is why it's cute that by the time you've done one and two, which are like one of which is cartoony and one of which is CIA grit, um, in a laboratory yeah I don't know um, uh, then it's fun to have a third case which is just immediately divides players into two groups I think that's really quite cool yeah um, okay. but yeah it's just it. the puzzles are good it functions very very smoothly if people want a puzzly escape room thing um, they can absolutely I think buy unlock have a good time the thing I should also state is that this wasn't Asmodee's idea first there are like I think three or four other brands of escape room games and I was Googling them, um, one of which I've got next to me. Cosmos publish uh, an escape room line, which are very small. Um, and then there's a mad one, which comes with a big, like, plastic toy that, like, is a bomb, and you have to press buttons on it. There's Escape the oh, wow. Mystery at Stargazer's Manor, which is another one. Like, I, I'm not, there are not just four games that do this, but four lines of games that do this. Um, but I did some cursory Googling after playing Unlock, and it seems that Unlock is, usefully for us, the one you should buy. Um, you get lots of cases they're all good they're all inventive and they're all in one box for a cheap price so go figure buy unlock wow yeah you, you I sound mean, that excited was, I it, I think I'm trying to sound more efficient than excited um, because to me it is still a pale imitation of like a real life escape room which can do so much with all five of your senses um, and you know there are so many properly ingenious escape rooms out there uh, annoyingly lots of which you can't spoil because I mean it's it's the, fundamentally the world's most aggravating scene to write about because an escape room is only in one place and lots of your internet readership aren't going to be in that place also you can't write really about why it's good because you're, then you're spoiling it yeah um, so yeah massive pain in the ass to cover escape rooms we tried briefly on Shut Up and Sit Down we sent Pip into a room when the scene was just starting up and yeah um but yes if i don't sound excited it's because it is it is aping something that is super cool in real life and i would want to just go and do the real life thing well fair enough but hey the real life thing is like three times as expensive uh let's throw over to you paul what is i'm I'm reading this out the document 
King Dominoes. King, King Dominoes. King, King Dominoes is something that I I might have like briefly hinted at in the past, might have briefly touched on once or twice in podcasts. I don't know. I first played it at BGGCon last year, and it wasn't really. I don't think I wrote about it. It wasn't one of those things that okay made the cut of me being like I'm really excited about this. Uh, and I've tried it once or twice since, and it's been sort of a guilty pleasure because it's a tile-laying game where you create terrain and scenery by, like, putting stuff down, which is, I've just realised, it's just a thing that I like. I like it if there mm. are hexes or squares and they connect up and they make a map to the point where it's sort of, it's become stupid now that maybe even the game might be bad and I would just play the game <laughs> because <laughs> I know it's awful. And I don't know if I feel, like, really excited about King Dominoes, but I, I keep thinking about it and playing it occasionally. All you do is you have these domino-like tiles and you lay them the way that you might lay tiles in uh, Carcassonne, whereby you try and build uh, gradually, you know, some scenery, a sort of a map. Um, and like dominoes, you've got two different things. So you might have, like, a bit of desert or a bit of forest, and you want to lay these things out in a way that scores you the most points by building like large tracts of land or building tracts of land that have certain features in so that when you have a certain number of like um, features in an area of land, it, it multiplies how many points it's worth. And everybody's doing this and you're sort of publicly drafting these tiles to try and grab the ones that you want that other people don't. And then eventually you formed your own nice little plateau, your own square area, and you count up how many points you get from, like, bits of desert or bits of water. And then you're like, I built the most efficient bit of land. And it doesn't sound really exciting to describe, and it doesn't sound like... It doesn't feel like it really pushes the boat out or revolutionises things. But I don't know if I... It's a Bruno Cathala game, by the way, and I don't know if I have also some sort of secret weak point for him. But I, I just, I like it, and it's really, you make something, and it's nice, and you make it efficient, and it's nice. And I it's tell you what. so I'm, accessible I, and easy, and then it's done in, like, 15 minutes, and you end up kind of doing it again. I brought up images of this, uh, of King Domino. It doesn't even look that spectacular, does it? Well, the thing that makes me smile is, like, you are so cagey when you're describing this, and you're so coy, and then it's like... As, but then as soon as I saw a picture of it, I kind of got why, because it looks like a child's game. It's, like, all the components are really thick and primary coloured. I think it was in the... I can't remember if it was this year or last year, but, the, like, the Golden Geeks just happened, and we very nicely, we got the, the Best Podcast Award, which is wonderful. So thank you to all the people who voted for that. Do you know why we won that, by the way? I was complaining about this on the Shut Up and Sit Down forums, I think. Uh, no. Because if past winners, like... Once in previous years, the winner is the best podcast can't compete. So while we are the best podcast, we're the best podcast after all the people who won best podcast in previous years. Oh, so it's more like it's just our time. So we're it's, the uh, rest. We're what's left. We are literally <laughs> the world, the fourth best world's best podcast, or whatever. Oh well, there you are then. Well, I mean, the King Domino, I think, was up for basically Family Game, and the thing is. I don't have children, but a lot of my friends do. And imagining that I did have some children and I wanted to play something that was more accessible for young people, I think I'd be putting this on the table a lot because it's just kind of cute and quick, but I do keep thinking about it. And it it's one of those things where because you start building a map and it kind of doesn't matter that much what you have, you don't care too much about what tiles other people are taking. But by the end of the game... Because there's only a few left and everything is sort of paring down. It turns from a game where you just, you know, you grab something and you add it to what you have to a game where you get furious at someone because they took the exact bit that you really, really needed. And they didn't need it that much, but it screws you up more than it helps them. This sounds very similar to that Scottish game you reviewed on the site where you lay tiles and you need oh things my and God. you screw people. What's it called, Paul? Yeah, I know what that's called. Is it Isle I'll, of Sky? No, it's not. Isle of Sky is pretty... Uh, I can't remember if I can say damn or not. 
What's like Isle of Sky? <laughs> I'm still excited. At. Oh God, I want to play Isle of Sky now. No, it's the ah. It, oh, hang on, just fill fill time, and I'll fill time. Okay, uh, I will say I, that I can't. I <laughs> it's difficult to fill time if you witter as well. <laughs> um, I thought when you mentioned Bruno Cathala, um, I thought that I'd seen that because Diamant. Um, if people haven't visited shutupandsitdown.com recently. Paul and I both worked together on a two-person review of Diamant, which is another great game made by a Bruno that is would also be good for kids. Uh, very simple, so funny. But that's Bruno Fiduti. I'm still, all, after all these years, com- confusing Bruno Cathala and Bruno Fiduti. Uh, although too many Brunos, yeah, too many Brunos on the dance floor making board games. Um, a, a lot of fantastic board games and some fluff. Uh, yeah, I, I went there, Bruno. Both of you. Glenn Moore. Um, there we go. Paul, Glenn Moore. Glenn Moore. Wait, really? Th- yep. Yeah. Yep. And I, I missed that. And now that I've even said its name, I want to say it again. The, the getting the castles and the laying them down and the making whiskey. <laughs> and I really liked it. And then you, you played it and you're like, I didn't know what I was doing and I won. And I felt bad because that was true. Yes, that is always a worrying sign. Uh, clock's ticking, Paul. Should we move on to the next game? Yeah. The next game I want to talk about and the game after that, actually, were both put in front of me by John Perkis, um, who is better known on the internet as uh, Actual Lol. Um, he does very, very good uh, YouTube board game videos um, and uh, wears a lot of wigs. And he turns out I mean, he's as good as he is because for a living, he is a professional comedy writer. Wow. Um, so that made a lot of sense, yeah, when I met him. But he put a couple of games in front of me that I'm going to talk about now before they, they're, they're talked about on his channel because uh, this is actually properly devious of me. But hey, uh, <laughs> let's just keep rolling. Wow. So Magic Maze just came out. Um, and uh, what it is, sorry, John, is a uh, tile lane game where you are four heroes. Are you ready, Paul? You're yep. four heroes. Yep. You're a dwarf and an elf and all that bullshit. Um, in a shopping mall? And you've been transported here and you need to get to the shops that sell you your weapons back, possibly, and then escape them all. Um, it really doesn't matter. The point is it's a magic maze, okay? Um, now, this is an entirely cooperative game. You can play with two or three or ideally four people. Um, and there are four heroes on the mall. So, Paul, you would probably assume that each of you controls a hero, right? That would be yes, that would be the sensible yes. board game to... Yeah, no. So no. what we have here... Instead, you are each given a tile... Uh, sorry, a, a smaller tile, not the tile of the mall that you're exploring. But a tiny tile that shows what direction you are allowed to move everybody. So, for example, Paul, maybe you can only move people north, and I can only move each of the four heroes south. You also have the ability to, like, explore new tiles if you're at the edge of a tile. Um, I can move us up and down escalators, that kind of thing. So everyone... So... and Oh, and final piece of the puzzle. The game is played in real time. So... Oh. Yes. So, and then imagine a board which is full of, like, you know... Uh, corners and thin hallways and fountains and all this nonsense so that um you know the the funniest is when you've got like a a snaking or a zigzagging corridor because then i will move someone a space to the left and then look at the oh and sorry 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 also you can't speak oh yeah Mm. so um okay I, i will move someone to the left and then look aggressively at you and you will suddenly realize I want you to do something, you'll look at the board and go, oh, right, and move him to one space to the, like, downwards or to the south. I'll move him to the left again. You'll move him downwards again. I'll reach over and do move someone else. Um, and there are, like, sort of timeout spaces where when you move someone onto a timeout space, you um, flip the hourglass and you're all allowed to talk for a hot second. But the moment someone touches, like, one of the uh, little wooden heroes again, uh, then you all have to stop talking again you know what uh, I'm, I'm cheating and i'm looking at pictures of this and these bits of maze don't look like they're necessarily that easy to navigate either no like this um, is kind of convoluted it it is very difficult it's full of all kinds of difficult stuff like um once you uh you you, you lose the game if the time runs out and once you all um break into sort of the shops you just you can't flip the timer anymore you just have to leave and everyone has to get to their own exit their own colored exit 
So you end up with this thing where all four heroes kind of stand outside their shops as you find them, and they all break in at once, and everyone has to dash to the exit. It is, um, it was really quite fun. Um, not like everyone should go out and buy it now fun, but the thing that had me cracking up is there is, a, if you're looking at Pitcher's Pool, can you see the giant red token? Yeah. Okay, so that is not like a gameplay thing. That is the token that you are allowed to put in front of someone when you want that player to do something for you. <laughs> but of course you can't say. So like, and there's four heroes. So maybe I'm moving a hero, like playing my own game, like basically. And then suddenly uh, my friend snaps that red token in front of me. I will look at the board and try and see what the hell is going on and what they want me to do. Um, if I can't see it, maybe that player really aggressively just snap, like picks up the little red thing and starts banging it up and down in front of me like a judge's gavel. Um, and I maybe still can't see what I'm supposed to do. You know what that um, reminds that play- me of? What is that? That reminds me of Ugtect. Yes. And the, the club uh, and oh. the fact that you can say very rudimentary things to people, which is usually like, <laughs> you are wrong, while they try and yes. attach one object to another. Yeah, that is a. Architect also had a rule that if you liked what a player did, you you tapped them on the head gently and said like, "Well done" in caveman, <laughs> didn't it? If if people haven't read our Architect review, that is spelt U G G hyphen T E C T Architect, um, and it's a game of cavemen building. It's it's one of the dumbest, best family games or sorry party games we've played. Oh God! But yeah, Magic Maze. It's it's unbelievably goofy and incredibly tricky and like there's almost no luck involved. Um, so you can get really good at it. Um, it's really quite good. I mean, it's just the insanity of four people trying to or three people trying to move all these different little heroes around. But then you get to an escalator and you have to stop because <laughs> there's no way of communicating to the pl- like. You all just have to absorb the whole board at the whole at all times. Um, I feel like I'm not doing a great job of explaining no, it why it's so kind of, funny uh, and interesting. I, with our friend group, I can definitely imagine that going down really well. Do you, do you really need like three or four people? Is the, uh, you the can question. Do it with two. Um, uh, John was saying that he thinks he prefers it with four, but um, I think it's perfectly strong. Also, it's one of those games where as soon as you succeed the challenge, you can introduce more and more difficult elements. You can introduce things like security cameras and tiny doors oh, um, wow. that only the dwarf can fit through. Um, so all the four characters have like have to do things that are their own. Um, it is it's good and fun and just trying to like solve this very simple puzzle, but essentially have other players to be like your other hands, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like even uh, if I move someone onto a teleporter, um, and then another player has the ability to actually teleport that hero to any of the other teleporters on the map, that's great. Except. I can't communicate which one I was thinking of, so maybe they just teleport them back, back backwards, back towards where they just were, and I can't even express disapproval of that. Um, it's interesting. It's good. Um, it's probably closest to like escape the curse of the temple in terms of running around a maze uh, uh, in a panic. Um, uh, may, uh, but escape the curse of the temple probably a little better. So, but just to but, be clear, you can you can't say anything, and you really shouldn't do expressions or noises or uh, not really. No, yeah, you or you can communicate entirely through the medium of that large red piece of wood, like, like <laughs> code names or Mysterium, where you just you do the game thing, and that's it, and then you sit there stony faced. Yes, although just like Codenames and Mysterium, uh, you are going to break that rule because you're going to be laughing and having so much fun. Yes, laughing. or sobbing. Or sobbing. It's, yeah, really just the... St- I think the main thing to get across is the stupidity of Magic Maze, of just having three players trying to move a little wooden man around a t- an incredibly simple childlike grid but each of you can only move in one direction. That's, that is, sounds uh, really worth having a shot at, actually, to me. It yeah, really does. Uh, from a, from a, it's absolutely worth trying if you get the chance to try it. From a distance, basically. Imagine two people playing like speed chess, where they both, like, I, I move a piece, then you move a piece, then I move a piece, and it looks really cool. But then if you got closer and people were playing Magic Maze, you would then realise that they're actually just moving the same piece over and over again um, towards a shop where he's going to steal an axe. It's... Yeah, it's a thing. That's Magic Maze. Well, Maybe you know don't buy do it, then? but do try it. Based on that, what, we should what? do four-player chess where it's two teams of two and you can't talk to your teammate. 
and you're just supposed to like guess what the other person wanted to do next based on what they previously did except you're on the same tee and you can't talk and things change and oh wow I immediately want to try this that would involve me playing chess I mean which I, I'm resistant to do after my niece schooled me so hard. Well, that's that's a, a story previously expressed on another podcast, isn't it? Oh, it certainly is. Yeah, it's um, it was just a, uh, it was just very upsetting. Maybe I didn't <laughs> say so at the time, but now with hindsight, it was, <laughs> it was awful. Um, uh, you've got another game to talk about. You have been playing oh, a game that I laugh at every time I see photos of. It's The Networks. It is The Networks. I got The Networks last year and I played a little bit and didn't really talk about it that much because I mostly it has a solo mode and everything that has the way for you to play solo tends to increasingly be like, first of all, the way I learn a game because I'm like, okay, I don't need anyone else around. Um, and that can be good, but you can also miss out on the tension and the competition. So I actually, mm-hmm. I sort of played it for a bit, didn't get crazy about it, but I actually got a chance to play it with other human beings more recently, brought it out again, thought, you know, deserves its due. Well, what is the networks? Well, imagine, Quentin, that you are okay. running yes. a television network or a channel, Ooh, and you want to have cool talking. shows and the best way Damn to right. get mm, the best way to have cool shows is have a cool show idea and then maybe put like a famous person on it and yeah. then obviously as the show gets better it gains momentum and more people watch until mm. it's been around for too long in which case you know fewer people <laughs> watch it so you need to constantly just get more shows and probably more famous people um, and that's it's kind of okay because, you know, your old shows can be in rerun for a while and they'll still get some views. But all of this is expensive, so you also want to chuck out adverts, except obviously products, certain products go better with certain kinds of shows, like certain products go well with sports shows rather oh, is than, this like, the comedy. Of like, is this, does it have a mechanical version of the fact of, like, uh, audience demographics and stuff is it like it, this is a show for men so put men advertising on it, it it almost does i mean it doesn't do it doesn't do that man thing but it does the thing for sports action comedy you know like this is a product that does better at this or in this slot like this you, you should be running this thing at 8 p.m rather than 10 p.m because of the people who are watching and okay it's got some clever systems in it. I wouldn't say that I fell madly in love with the networks, but I enjoyed playing it. You have this constant sort of momentum in this game where at every turn new stars and new shows become available um, and you're, everything that you have gets stale really quickly. So you're, you're trying to slot in new shows and new stars because you might... It, it gets really sad, but it's like I, I'm basically dumping this show and this star that I paid <laughs> however mil- many millions for because I will get one more viewer if I put in this new thing instead. Um, oh, does it do viewers like in the abstract? Like, um, sorry, uh, so they are basically like your victory points. Sure, but so but like most board games, I'm guessing it's not going to be like you have millions of viewers. It's like you have. Just mechanically speaking, you have like four viewers or yeah, something like that. You do, you do, you have do like you. Oh, <laughs> please say that the players are then imagining that they literally have four viewers, and you're all running the worst networks. Well, it starts off that way because the initial shows you have are just like shows about. One of them is like name that stain. <laughs> and th- this, yeah, the, 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 these cards are the the main appeal for me Rex they all seem so funny it's some of, some of them are they're, they're amusing I wouldn't say it's a game that's particularly funny but I, like the art style is kind of I don't want to say cheap but it's very sort of plain and wacky and then all the shows are puns some of the puns are funny some of them aren't but you sort of that doesn't matter that gives you a sort of a background level of it's silly and then you just start getting on with the, the process of trying to solve the puzzle of balancing your shows to make them as good as possible except naturally what you're doing is you you have a pool that you buy from every season every turn of the game which is where like new actors appear and new shows appear and it also becomes a game of being like well i should probably hire this actor because i'm never going to use them but i can put them in my green room and that just prevents someone else from having them and it only costs me two million dollars so there's an element of being a jerk (laughs) 
of just taking stuff that other people will use and also what you want to do as soon as possible is do uh basically close out for the season where you're like i've you know i'm done with scheduling shows i'm done with getting actors because if you if you're the player who ends their turn soonest you get the best possible cash uh and viewer bonus for the next season ahead so you want to grab as much stuff as you can but also be done with before anyone else because then you can be you can basically get a better bonus so there's a lot of quite clever mechanics of constantly trying to balance different things and i wouldn't say like that it's really exciting but it is interesting um and I th- is it fast it's faster than i expected actually as well which i liked it is really kind of nippy because once you get into understanding how the game works and looking at the the kind of figures that you've got to constantly massage, you're suddenly like three seasons into your first game. There's only five seasons, and then it's just like you're done. And the, the game can actually be really quite close, and you can have someone who only had a few more viewers than you did, like 10, 15 more viewers or something, um, out of like, you know, a couple of hundred. So it gets quite tight, the only thing is I, I there's these loads and loads of these cards called network cards that are basically special ability cards and a certain amount of them uh-huh. appear every turn and they're like they allow you to do something like uh, steal an actor from someone else's green room or gain an audience bonus based on reruns and because they're all like one shot powers I think a couple of them turn up a couple of times but there are so many in the deck that potentially you can't necessarily plan for them they tend to appear and be really useful and really you know boost you make you leap ahead but when so much of the game is about like quite cannily balancing things it feels like they can be a bit too powerful yeah there's such a those cards are such a um weird uh, sort of i don't want to say weeds but they do grow in like so many uh designs of people that aren't, don't necessarily do this for a living if you look at like the the top tier of like board game designers people like eric lang um or you know the brunos or like you know the, the people who just make such successful stuff these like the, the little take that cards that are in the middle of like an otherwise quite serious strategy game you never get that do you and yet it, it seems like such a appeal to um um other designers who are you know maybe like uh, sort of the second and third tier i hadn't played a game that had cards like this in for a while so it's really interesting that you said that and that might have just been like the selection of stuff i've been playing and i don't know i think there's an element of you shouldn't really have to do this but like as a player if you like the game you could go through the deck to some degree and just weed out the cards that you feel throw it too much and like I understand why they're in there because they're in there to add a bit more drama and a bit bit more unpredictability but it doesn't quite gel for me and it doesn't spoil the game it didn't stop me from thinking this this is fun I have enjoyed this but it did sort of stop me from going you know this is really good and instead sort of deciding like yeah this is enjoyable I have liked this I wouldn't necessarily recommend it it is kind of uh, it's an imperfect solution right because you, if you want tension and drama in your game you always want that tension and drama to come from the game itself as opposed to sort of like a, a, a more wobbly uh, band-aid of cards that have uh, yeah, been thrown in as, additionally of the unpredictable yeah yes because that if that then doesn't see players playing the same game they were playing two minutes before then that is you know it, it's more frustrating it's surprising but not necessarily a good thing uh, so networks again, something that people could try if they get the chance. Yeah, I I, I enjoyed it. I will probably try and play it again with even more people because I think the more people you play it with, the more interesting it becomes. But oh, really? Uh, yeah, I feel that because there's there's so much more in play and there's more possibilities and there's more back and forth. Um, but I, you know, I'm not dripping with love for it. I've just I've enjoyed it and I think I've it's gradually grown on me. Okay, well, shall I move on to my third and most exciting game? Do it. I don't know about most exciting. Certainly most uh, sexy. uh, Most Fifty Shades (laughs) of Grey. Um, So this is When I Dream. This is another game that was brought to me by John Perkis. Uh, Thanks, John. Uh, Sorry for talking about your great games. Um, It is a party game played with, you know, like four, five, six, seven, eight people or more, I guess. 
Um, one person, Paul, each round wears a, uh, I almost called it a sex mask, but that's not what it is. Wow. It's a sleeping, a sleeping mask, you know, like the thing you wear over your eyes if you're sleeping on an airplane or whatever. I've got one of those now. I think that's a sign of properly getting old as I have one. I think it's a sign of being a sensible human, uh, who enjoys sleep. Uh, anyway, one person around the table wears this and they are the dreamer. And everyone else then receives a card um, for the round, telling them whether they, oh, I'm going to get these names wrong, so I'm just going to Can I just them. stop you there and say that I'm going to buy this and play it? <laughs> Based solely on well, that prop. This, this is the game that I would, uh, I think of all the games we've talked about today, well, this and Unlock, I think, um, are, are sensible purchases if people want them. So you, everyone else then gets a card that tells them whether they're like a fairy or an imp. Um, fairies being the good guys and imps being the bad guys, I guess. Sure. Um, and then there's a sort of mischief maker card, which you can also be. Uh. Um, and then what we've got then next is a massive deck of beautifully illustrated cards um, that depicts, you know, different things like airplanes or vegetables, whatever. Ancient Egypt. Um, and these cards are actually double-sided. Uh, not double-sided, but the top of the... This is cute. So the top of the card depicts, like, ancient Egypt, and the bottom one will depict a, a word that's harder, like, I don't know, um, mm-hmm. lawyer. Um, but then the illustration for the card, even though you're only playing with either easy mode or hard mode, because it's a game about dreaming, the illustration is, like, lawyers in ancient Egypt or, you know, like a rat on a chessboard, you know, that, and so the art kind of bleeds until it makes no sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's really good-looking art. Um, anyway, so you're dealing cards out from the top of this deck. You have a, a sand timer. You have maybe 60 seconds, so you flip a card, and the card is ancient Egypt. Now... If a player is, you then go around the table and everyone says like one word clues to help help guide the dreamer towards the card, probably. Because if you're a fairy, like I might say pyramids for ancient Egypt, yeah. because I want the dreamer to guess correctly. But if I'm an imp, I want them to guess wrong. So I might say spaghetti. Um, and so the dreamer hears, you know, pyramids, then spaghetti, then pharaoh and then potato um and at any point the dreamer can try and name the card um so i i might give up and say like uh you know cooking and then if i'm wrong then the card goes into the imp pile and if i'm right it goes into the fairy pile but you just keep doing this until your until 60 seconds runs out at which point the dreamer can score extra points if they name or everything they dreamed um uh, and then finally, the mischief makers. The mischief makers then get points if both of the piles are basically equal. So, in this group of your friends being alternately annoying, you might identify some people as like, okay, this guy's definitely lying as the dreamer. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of your friends will be alternating between lying and telling the truth. So it's just your friends shouting nonsense at you and like using your brain as a parser for their their own puzzle. Wow, um, it's yeah. funny. It's a game that essentially turns one player into. I mean, there is still a game for the dreamer to play, but more than that, what I liked is that it's a game that turns a player into a board game component where players yeah. can put words into you and then you will respond with a different word. Yeah, yeah. No, this is, this is kind of immediately really interesting to me, partly because I want the comedy of just having someone sat there with this thing on their face, pulling <laughs> expressions while we all sit there and... Because, you know, it's it's like the opposite of a hidden roles game or something. Rather than being in a situation where lots of people have different amounts of information, you just have one useless person initially, and you get to play with them. <laughs> you know, does, does that yeah. make sense? Am I sort of describing yeah, that it does, right? It does. You get to just chuck stuff at them and see what happens. No, that's exactly it. And the reason it's so like delightful is all the uh, the imps and fairies, you know, can make eye contact, but obviously you can't say anything to the dreamer that would give away the game. Yeah. Um, so, like, if I flip a card from the top of the deck that is like um, uh, I don't know crabs, and then immediately I say, you know, mathematics, like the whole table of players know that I'm an imp or a trickster, um, and then you will all look at me and then kind of like feel sorry for the dreamer because the dreamer will have no idea that I'm lying but everyone else does yeah it's kind of like it reminds which is a really fun uh social uh sort of shape to have it reminds me of in cockroach poker um the which we recommend wholeheartedly but the joy of an entire table that knows you're lying yeah uh, and then one person who has no idea if you're lying or not that is just delightful and um when I dream has that in uh, in spades 
Uh, so that is very good. That, and, that, uh, I really want to try that. I am so interested because, yeah, particularly with like any group of friends who know each other and probably, I guess, know how to annoy each other. That's got to be fun. It's good. It's, I mean, and it's devious as well. The thing we started doing is that um, doing word association as a fairy is really easy because, like, you know, you see airplane and then I say, you know, uh, flight. Um, but trying to come up with a word that's nonsense or, like, similar but different to steer them off, uh, it takes longer. So then the dreamer starts listening out for um, pauses, uh, which is a whole thing. Yeah. Um, it's just good. Anyone can... Uh, can can buy it and can have an okay time it wasn't like sometimes i play games like deception murder in hong kong or the resistance or whatever um that are social and i immediately like oh that's so good i want everyone to own it i didn't necessarily get that feeling with when i dream it was quite gentle but um as a gentle silly thing i think it's very good indeed i i would look towards it yeah look forward to it even put your hand in my mailbag Ooh, we've reached into the mailbag, and this time it's a bit of a special mailbag because the mail <laughs> that you are receiving, Paul, is from me. It's me. I'm sending an angry letter to shut up and sit down, and you're going to have to field it. Wait, so what? So do you remember what you... I know. Do you remember what you said about Snakes and Ladders on the last podcast? Yeah. yeah oh, d- mm, no. That's yes. fine, Matt. That's fine, Paul. I wrote it down. So Matt said, quote... Snakes and bloody ladders. This isn't really a game, yeah. end quote. To which you followed up, Paul, with, it's just nonsense. Uh, your words, <laughs> not mine. Now, that is obviously fine. It's an attitude to have. It's the attitude that I had um, a while back. Um, but <laughs> you, you kind of timed that in, in a very unfortunate way because that same week while you recorded the podcast without me, I found out, that Snakes and Ladders has the most insane history of any board game uh, I, I in the world. I briefly saw some of this, but I didn't have a chance to properly dig into it, and now you're going to throw it at me. I'm going to throw you some knowledge, and I'm not as intelligent as I make this sound. I've got the article open in front of me. But, um, yeah, it's believed that Snakes and Ladders emerged from uh, either northern India or Nepal. Um, and it's like it's one of those games like the royal game of Ur that is like potentially like a thousand years old. Wow. Okay. Um, or, possi- or possibly the 19th century. Uh, the article doesn't express... The- <laughs> oh, God. Here we go. All dignity lost. Snakes and ladders. Wikipedia. Okay, apparently no one knows when snakes and ladders was invented. It's fine. The point is it's old. And here's the thing, Paul. Snakes and ladders, yes, it's a terrible game, but it's not really supposed to be a game per se. Snakes and ladders, are you ready for this? Yeah. Is a tool for meditation on life. So we are talking about snakes and ladders or shoots and ladders if you're an American where snakes aren't allowed because they're too scary or something. I don't know. Um, but yes, yeah, so this is bonkers. So the snakes and ladders that would that send you up or down spaces um, would have moral lessons written on that space, um, whether in the form of an illustration in some versions of the game or explicitly written oh, out. Oh, you know and what? Go on, what? go on. You've reminded me of something. Sorry, keep going. Okay, well, don't forget it because you sounded really excited. But uh, we'll put a link to this article in the the podcast itself on shutupandsitdown.com. But there are uh, Hindu, Islamic, and Buddhist versions of Snake and Ladders, as well as something called Jain, J-A-I-N, and I don't know what that is, um, which would have different lessons on the board. So the idea is you're you're playing it with someone. If you're trying to win, yeah, it's, it's a terrible game, but that wasn't the point. The point is you start, you roll, you go onto a space, and there's a proverb or lesson on it. And it accelerates you up the board. And then you and your friend can either you think about that lesson, that parable, that turn of phrase, uh, or you discuss it with your friend. That's what the game was for. And then the British in 1943 took it back to England and America and just treated it like a, a game, I guess, like a sort of exoticism from the East. Wow. I keep saying that, that word. Please, please, people. No, it's, it's a- tell us how many times I've said, like, wow, this time, because I... This, I feel like my brain is constantly being expanded. And the thing is, I got so excited just then because I remembered, and this must have been such a long time ago when I was very young, having in a book somewhere, like you open, you know, you turn to a couple of pages and the spread was a Snakes and Ladders game. 
but it was all um like all the things that sent you up that were ladders were like good moral choices and all the things that sent you back uh-huh. down and they i think they're all, all in like a crime and punishment kind of context like cops and robbers ish but i'm sure okay. they were like things that yep, you would do I... as a kid or as a young adult as a teenager like you know you steal God. some sweets from the shop or you help an old lady across the road and you know some of these things God, send you, know... you up and some of them send you down there's a lot of board games in American and, well, European, like, quote-unquote, Western history that do the same thing, you know? I've got a book of old board games, and, um, yeah, there was a lot of moralizing in them. Like, I always remember, there's a whole chapter in this book I own about um, uh, the city, because going to the city was such a new and exciting um, prospect to people in, like, the 1880s, that there were board games that modeled going to the city, and it would be like, you know, you roll and you end up on a space, and it's like, you have been, you know, your your, your morality has been corrupted. Go back two spaces, or, like, wow. you know, you catch a show, go forward a space. Um, but, yes, I remember those from just even the 1980s when I was growing up, like, just stuff in magazines and comics of just board games, but the spaces were packed with text. It's a sort of commentary thing, or it's a sort of, uh, it's the theme, isn't it? It's it's the excuse for the thing that happens. Mm. Uh, yeah, but I wonder then if that originates from Snakes and Ladders, because certainly this article has pictures of Snakes and Ladders boards that are older than those, like, 1880s, which it's would mean gotta that... It's got to be, like, an influence... You know, yes. you can't help but, like, get but, some idea from that or, you know, have it bleed through. But, my God, like, how far we've lost our way if... Because um, everyone in the board game community complains about roll and move as a mechanic, which is the same thing in Monopoly, where you yeah. roll a dice and then you go that many spaces. Like, if that game mechanic originated... Oh, no, it no, it can't have done because it originated... It's in, like, the royal game of... Uh, which is an ancient Egyptian game. So, no, it didn't originate doing that. But if Snakes and Ladders was the peak of that mechanic whereby people realized, yes, this is a stupid, awkward mechanic, but it enables you to fixate on spaces and you don't know where you're going to end up. Like, if that's a good use of it and we've just forgotten that that was the point, oh, I've lost my I've lost my thread, Paul. I this think is, I, know, but, hey. I know where you were headed. You were just talking about the, that not being the point anyway, the point being the surprise of something that comes up that gives you a point of discussion or even just makes everybody laugh at you because you did the the game finds a way of telling you hey you have done this thing or you have had this mm. experience and then everyone's like haha you did this thing you did a crime or you did a bad thing in the city or but then maybe you think to yourself oh but i you know if my life had gone a different way maybe i would do a crime and then what do i think about criminals if 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 i could have done a crime and you know what that's a meditation on free will and determinism and we're right back to philosophy end of podcast good night there we are, full circle. <laughs> Bye. Folk game of the month. I have browsed our folk game document. Uh, if you're not aware, we always end the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast with uh, a nice folk game, a game passed on from uh, generation to generation or invented by a weird man in a shed. Um, <laughs> games that unsold but merely experienced. Um, I found a philosophical one uh, from the files today um, because we've been talking a lot about philosophy. I'm so excited. Uh, Matt, Quinns, Paul, and all of the Shut Up and Sit Down crew. You've talked about some fun and interesting folk games on your podcast, but I'd like to introduce you to a game which violates the magic circle like no other. Shut Up and Sit Down, meet Romans and Christians. And then there's a link to youthpastor.com slash game slash index slash blah 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 um if uh dear listener you would not like to have romans and christians uh spoiled for you um there will be spoilers ahead um but unless you are in a folk group and about nine years old uh you're probably unlikely to play this in the near future so um our reader continues our writer reader what our folk gamer i whatever the letter continues I played this game at a few Methodist church camps during my teenage years. We had around 75 players, each of which were handed their identities. Roman soldier, Roman citizen, and Christian. This is a little different from the version described online. Roman soldiers had flashlights and could order people to freeze and escort them to trial using the flashlights. Roman citizens were powerless and uninformed. Christians were simply told to seek the light. Anyone brought forward by the soldiers would be interviewed by Pilate. 
uh, who would then order them executed. Executed people were escorted by adults through a series of pitch black corridors to the light, which was a sort of candlelit vigil held in a lodge room come chapel. This is a long folk game, but worth it, Paul. You following so far? Yeah, yeah. This is just initially sounding really grim. It's kids ordering each other to, to be killed. Yeah. So Christians who had found the light were given a choice. Return and lead others to the light or move on and take the dead with them. Anyone who moves on is taken to an after party with real cake. If you've spotted the problem, then you're wiser than the good people of my church. It took every single adult to operate the light. Pilate, is it Pilate or Pilot? Pilot. I thought it was Pilot. Pontius Pilate. Pontius yeah. Pilate. Yeah. Yeah, Pilate's trial and the after-party. This left not even one adult to, su- to supervise 75 teenagers as they participated in concentrated, <laughs> amped-up Stanford prison experiments. Soldiers grabbed people at random, citizen and Christian alike, shouted at them to demean themselves before the agents of Caesar. If you can imagine Power Man teenagers doing something, they did. It was like the opposite of Lord of the Flies. Rather than civilization creating a force keeping barbarity at bay, civilization instead created authority. Authority is like a great summoning ritual for cruelty, and oh boy did cruelty come when bidden. I'd like to say that I had some sort of religious experience, but instead I learned to fear my peers and distrust the authorities. In a sense, I learned the lessons which have kept me alive to this day, which I guess is a win. Sincerely, Trick Dempsey who I also know has been supporting Shut Up and Sit Down by donations for some time. Thank you very much, Trick. What a great guy. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I am what a game. Almost speechless because I, I exactly see what he means of the, the problem of you have left a bunch of children in a place and you've basically said you are in charge of the other ones or you are you have more authority you have more control than the others because clearly like any any situation where you were a kid and someone told you you could do something was immediately a recipe for for (laughs) cruelty or just disaster or bad organization i remember this i remember like what happens when you're eight years old and someone says to you you can do this, or if this happens, do this, or you're in charge of the dog, make sure this doesn't happen. And then what happens is that doesn't happen, but everything else does. The dog does. ends up in the skip, and you uh, yeah, yep. end up in a river. Um, the thing is, though, that if, uh, you know, like, uh, I don't know where this game is set, I guess, like wherever in the Middle East that there were Christians. Um doesn't that make the game if if it turns into a Stanford prison experiment with the Roman soldiers being awful to to everyone and Christians doesn't that fit the game because you know you've you've got to com- in this game you're trying to get like to create actual heaven where there is cake and I guess peace and quiet <laughs> and order versus the awful um trial that is life on earth which is I, you know I teenagers suppose beating you up so I mean I'm trying to I I guess a lot of the tension happens in this place where you have the choice of whether you want to return to lead others or whether you just move on. That seems to be where I guess, you know, sort well, of guess, tension so I, and me- choices come in and then the kids arguing. Yeah, so I guess mechanically then you go to this, you end up being judged by Pilate and you're sent into the light by being executed. You realize there's teachers and cake and music and whatever in this back room. And then you're given the choice of whether you want to go back to Earth and tell other Romans. I guess that's the mechanic because Christians are told to seek the light. So they know there's a something, there's some party. But then they have to go back and tell the Roman citizens like, no, there's there's a party which is heaven. All the, all the double entendres in this really give me a headache when you're trying to like explain and analyze it but so you're going back to the room full of roman citizens who were not told to seek the light and going no 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 you have to be executed by Pilate because then it's awesome and there's cake um which is kind of a weird way to interpret christianity um not that i know that much about it that, well that's the but like, also the thing that's really grim that struck me about it is that that this process you have to go through that doesn't seem nice it also implies though that killing yourself i mean this which is absolutely not a christian uh attitude like killing yourself is not something that god approves of in the bible but that's kind of what you're doing here right as a christian you're coming back from heaven to tell roman citizens oh get yourself killed because then they go to heaven and it's awesome which is absolutely not how christianity works i don't think but then also this game was invented by 
Uh, there's everything in heaven uh, or nothing, <laughs> depending on. Well, this is philosophy again, isn't it? But like, I also don't want to doubt the Christian teachings in this game because it was invented or run by youth pastors all over America, according to Trick. Wow. So clearly, my understanding of this game is weaker than, or religion is weaker than. Or is it? Or is my understanding of game design so good? I am, then, I'm just now really uh, interested to find out like how far this went or if more people played it or if they've tried something like this because I've never heard of this. This sounds so alien to me. And absolutely, if you are a uh, if you are aware of any religious or culty folk games that you played or put through as a kid, do write in to contact at shutupandsitdown.com um, You can do so anonymously if you like. Um... But uh, yeah, certainly it's a hell of a thing. Certainly, it's the first folk game we've played which has like a twist and a. Well, yeah. Actually, no, that's not true. This is like a more cerebral version of that Australian one where it's like you turn off all the lights and you go, "I'm taking off my pants," <laughs> and then someone turns on the light, and the only one person who wasn't in on the joke has taken off their pants. Uh. Uh, <laughs> anyway, yeah, what a what a thing, like. So then what happens at the end? Do you just get all the kids in a room and then you go, makes you think, kids. Well, you know, that's not... So you he, just went through what Jesus Christ went through. Here's, here's the other thing. that What happens with the Roman soldiers? They just have the flashlights <laughs> and they just end up by themselves? I mean, what would be great is if the Roman soldiers, mad with power like end up running through the darkness into the light and they're like this is a bust and they take the cake <laughs> and then, <laughs> like arrest the teachers or whatever and so is pilot one of the adults by the way did i miss this or is that also another kid i think so okay it's not oh my god but a kid is pontius pilot um i sent it to you to die uh it's um no i think that the adults uh. are uh, keeping everything dark, keeping the light light, making sure there's cake there, and there's an adult sentencing all their kids to death. This is the item. Mm. But yeah, you're mm. right though. What happens if like you send all these kids to the trial, and then eventually the, the sorry, and then eventually the light gets more full of kids and cake until eventually it's like what, like ten Roman ten guards, Romans. and like yeah, and the, all the girls they fancy who they've not arrested yet because. Because they're trying to be nice to them so that they'll yeah. be noticed. Except in doing so, they're keeping them from everlasting happiness in the afterlife. Oh, that's but a metaphor. Is, you, you are right that if they do arrest everybody, then uh, <laughs> they're just left by themselves. And then do they do they kill themselves? Do they have themselves, like, sentenced by Pilate? I don't know. That's that's another grim thing of, like, what they ruin... They they do whatever they do, and then they end up left on their own. That's that's basically, like, the rapture. <laughs> that is the rapture. I mean, that's 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 also, like... It is, well, I guess that maybe that's what it's trying to... to simulate. What a, what a bleak thing to end on. <laughs> I have yeah, to go to bed I, after I like, this. I have to have a whole full day wandering around thinking about whether I've... It should be worshipping god more i tell you what i'll tell uh, you a very quick story as well very oh, brief please. i had a dream last night that i was in a hotel it was a very big hotel and bits of it were deserted and it was like hmm. it had sort of you know it seemed very modern it had cool carpets and stylish designs but like the further down the floors you went or the further to the back of the hotel you went the more empty okay it wait was. before go on <laughs> can i make a suggestion yeah the, is the hotel you know your life and that it's cool you're a modern man paul you're very fancy I, I, you know you, you you put up a lot of front but what's behind your front paul is it emptiness well you'll mm, well hang on i haven't got there yet uh i, think I just I like have... i like to have it, <laughs> i like on. to have people to have like uh the metaphor in their minds while the dream's being told no because that makes it worse I, yeah, exactly. I may have dreamt of this before. I don't know. I may have dreamt of like this place because sometimes I dream of like the same places, but different things happen in them. But I was with like a friend, some I don't remember who it was, but I was with someone else. And I think we went too deep and there was no power in this low part, like underground part of the hotel <laughs> where I guess all the cheap dark rooms were. But there were packs of roaming yeah. like wild kids. And there was a pack of kids who were basically <laughs> hunting some other kids to catch them and eat them. And our choice was, right, do we save the kids or do we just run? And we're like, we have to run. We should go because otherwise we're going to be eaten as well. 
So if you want to extend that metaphor, that this is, is clearly something that's in my head. Yes, that is absolutely your subconscious. Your id is running rampant and you just choose not to look but at it. But it was a bit Lord of Lord of the Flies. It was kids eating other kids in this this hotel that had been like so, I guess, big and old and abandoned. I don't know. I uh, <laughs> I remember after we read Lord of the Flies. Um, yeah, you remember the conch from Lord of the Flies? I don't remember um, it very a... well. I remember like it's so long ago and I think I only saw the film. Um, so there is a seashell, a large conch, and they, um, have, they they come up with a system where you can only speak if you're holding the conch, which prevents them all from talking over each other. Oh, yeah. And uh, it's, a, it's a very portentous uh, item in the book, and but the way that manifested itself among my, like, 12 or 13-year-old um, uh, school uh, friends and stuff was just the phrase, which is a line from the book, which is, shut up, I've got the conch. And we would yell that at each other. And it was somehow infused with the power of literature, where despite the fact that we were saying it as like a parody, you would still shut up because in the book, that line is relates to like the death of a child and stuff. Uh, kids, kids are weird. I, I don't, I think you and I both have some issues with childhood. Otherwise, why would we still be playing games as an adult? Huh? Huh? Oh, well, huh? it's fine. It's fine. Everyone is nowadays. It's fine. It's normal. It's normal. Don't look too close yet. <laughs> yeah. Just move forward. Thank you very much for listening to the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, everybody. Um, if you like us, did you know you can keep this podcast on a feet by throwing us a dollar a month? That's we're doing the podcast every two weeks now is the goal. So that would be 50 cents an episode. Oh, my God. Does that sound? That sounds fair, doesn't it? And then there's you get videos and text and all this stuff we do for free. You can support that on shutupandsitdown.com slash donate. Ooh, and I if you donate to us, then you get put on our like our subscription mailing list and you get the special newsletter that other people don't get. And it has a lot less of me saying, wow, which <laughs> this has been, this has has been the wow podcast for me, it's, it has you talking about what Al Pacino means to you. It has me talking about games we're going to be reviewing so you can buy them before we review them. Um, and yes, lovely stuff. Hot beans. No need to review this podcast on iTunes because we're hoping to change our iTunes listing soon. Ooh. So just if you got that review, just sit on it like an egg and then it'll hatch into a beautiful review later in the year when we change our podcast fees. So, a lot of metaphors in this podcast, Paul. This has been a really interesting, unusual, good, completely unexpected... This didn't end or start or go how I thought it would. It rarely does, eh? Isn't that, isn't that the story of this site? Thank you very much for listening, everybody. 